Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. All while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, I am so excited about today's episode and I can't wait to get into it and share it with you. But I just wanted to remind you before we get going today to visit expatmoneyshow.com and sign up for my private newsletter, EMS Pulse. Right now we are sharing the weekly episodes from the podcast, but also a ton of other products and services that we're going to be offering, lots of language programs, lots of tips and tricks for being an expat, whether you're a first-time expat or an expat hopeful. There's just so much going on at expatmoneyshow.com. I really hope that you get a chance to come and visit us, join the newsletter, and then from there, maybe join our Facebook group at expatmoneyforum.com. Lots happening. I really want to share it with you guys, and the best way to stay connected is through these two sites, expatmoneyshow.com and expatmoneyforum.com. Thanks so much. Enjoy today's episode. Cheers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Expat Money Show. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and today's guest is the formal chief digital officer at one of the world's most prestigious banks, a fintech entrepreneur with over 20 years experience in the industry, and is now the founder of Tend, a blockchain company that focuses on co-ownership of luxury goods and the tokenization of real assets. Please welcome to the show, Marco Abele. Marco, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Looking forward to have a talk with you now. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Marco, why don't you take a minute and kind of explain the idea behind Tend and how you came up with it? Sure. So my idea is originating actually in large consumer insights that I gathered over the past decade in my former roles, realizing that people have changed the meaning of what means wealth for them. And that changed meaning of wealth was, was leading to the insight that people want to invest their money much more purposefully or meaningfully and much more associated with passions or interests they have. And hence, I was looking what actually the very super rich can do. And with technology, I try to make it available to now the broader audience by creating co-ownership into really beautiful and emotional assets, just like classic cars, a beautiful watch collection, vineyard, art pieces, and so on. Um, and typically, this had a very high enter barrier. And so what we did is basically reducing that enter barrier through technology, namely the blockchain and smart contract, and helping people actually to get or into such investments and make it affordable. And that's the big idea behind it, because it gives people so much more meaning having invested into something they really love. I love it. So it's co-ownership in luxury goods. So you mentioned a luxury car. I think I saw on the website it was a Porsche Roadster. Yes. And then tell me some of the other assets that you hope to have on the 10 platform. So first of all, we do not actually push assets to our customers. So we're going to ask them what they want. And we did with the first 20 to 100 customers here in Switzerland, a survey, what they would like to have. And it turns out that the first four or five categories will be cars, it will be vineyards, it will be watches, it will be art pieces, and some part it will be also jewelries. And we're going to always source really what our users on our platform desire. And that's, I think, much more personal and much more immediate satisfaction than and not looking just to have offerings on the platform, which Maybe interesting, but actually not matching the needs and the desires of our customers. So we're going to evolve with the offering over time. And it may be also region-specific that, for example, in Asia, people would love 
but a different kind of investment universe than the people in Latin America, for example, or Europe. So it's really going to be user-generated. What the users want, you're going to be able to provide a platform for them. A large part of it, yes. So, of course, we, we actually got a lot of demand from people who have already these assets and wishing to put them on the platform because for them it's a great use case to actually well give give these beautiful objects to a broad audience that's one thing but also to create liquidity for them so we will have both sides it's like a marketplace supply and demand but we want to be really driven much more by the people who gonna invest into these things and make sure we have the right offering on the platform Excellent. So I want to talk a little bit more about the investments a bit later on, but I want to understand first how the tokens are going to work and how the platform is going to be set up. That's very important, yes. And actually, it's the whole purpose is to tokenize the world, right? (laughs) These beautiful, high-value assets. And I believe that's, in my opinion, one of the biggest use cases for blockchain in general, because you create a new level of transparency, which creates trust. Um, for the economic exchange of, of assets, it's highly important. And if it's recorded on the blockchain, it's it's really creating that new level of, of objective and transparent information. And secondly, you're going to make it liquid and tradable and accessible in an entire new way. So how it works is that whenever an asset is coming on the platform, prior to that, we go through a due diligence process. So let's take the example of this luxury Porsche car that you mentioned before, together with the owner and in that case, an independent third party, in, in, in that case Porsche, we actually going to verify the authenticity of the object, the quality of the object, and going to go through a whole due diligence. And that ends up in a certification document, which is then actually digitally hashed and put on the decentralized database and then referenced in what we call the smart contract. So we create a really line of ownership representation from the real world, from the real object, into the smart contract. And that's super critical because you need that line of representation because otherwise you actually don't make it a real true offering that represents the ownership both digitally and in the real world. So that's how it's happened that we go through that due diligence process with each object certified, tokenize it, and bring it then on the platform. So traditionally, how many tokens will each one of these objects have then? That depends on the object. We do not make mass of the tokens. So in that case of the Porsche, it's going to be 8 or 10. So you have only 8 or 10 co-owners. In case of a vineyard, it's going to be probably 10 or 20 at maximum. In case of a watch, it's maybe only 4 or 6. So... What our idea is that we do not create mass co-ownerships, but still a very intimidated community, like-minded people style of um, investment universe, which means that you don't offer mass tokens, but only like intimately between 5 to 20 tokens. And so when the tokens are created and the initial sale of them takes place, is there going to be a secondary market for people to exchange these tokens or to liquidate them? On my platform, yes, you can always buy and sell and liquidate the tokens at any time. So it's not that you outside of the platform actually can use them in a secondary market because otherwise I would not have control who can buy it. The key thing is that users on the platform still need to go through a KYC process. I need to know who is the customer. And with that that universe, we're going to create you actually have that secondary market on the platform itself. Because I saw at the moment that you are raising funds through an ICO. I believe you're doing a pre-sale at the moment. So those 13 million tokens for the hard cap that are being created, those tokens are separate from the tokens that will be used for purchasing the luxury goods? Absolutely. So that's a very important point. We did not mix up the tokens in terms of financing, that's now the ICO sales round, versus the assets that we have on the platform. So in fact, we're going to create for each asset an own token series. For the Porsche, it's going to be like one series of that Porsche. For the Vineyard, it's going to be another series of tokens. So each asset has actually its own token series. And that's very important because it's really an asset backed token on the platform later, whereas the fundraising is token which gives you ownership in the company 
and actually access to dividends. So it's really a financing in, in a security token, whereas the others are then a series of asset tokens. So you're tokenizing the company as well as tokenizing the assets. Correct. And these are two separate operations and very two separate actually activities. Absolutely, yes. And then tell me a little bit about how the dividend structure you plan to roll it out or how you think it will work. Well, that's actually very typical to any other company because we are embedded into Swiss law, into Swiss corporate laws. That means that the General Assembly each year decides on whether a dividend is distributed and then if it's decided yes, then the split of the dividends is according to the share ownership. So it's very linear. So it's actually like a traditional company. The only thing we do is we have tokenized the ownership and hence the dividends will be, for example, paid in either and, and not in traditional fiat money. But it's really according to existing laws and embedded into the whole way actually you operate as a company under Swiss law. Because when I was looking through the website, I noticed that it is a security. A lot of the tokens that are new ICOs are not classified as securities. So I saw that as one of the big differences between your company and others. Yes, definitely. And I think we decided in autumn when we designed the token structure, looking forward what I believe regulation will bring. And I have a few that utility tokens will have a hard time to survive and probably only in a very limited scope will be accepted by the regulation. And hence, we, we were opting for what I believe the future proof setup of a security token. And, and hence, we structure it really very, very clearly in that way. Excellent. So walk me through where you guys are right now with building out the platform and building out the company. So we are in a alpha product mode or platform mode. So meaning we have developed a user interface together with 21st pilot customers over the last month and validated and, and tested it with them. We're going to roll out the application on 1st April to 100 customers in Switzerland. It's still in an alpha product mode, so we gather a lot of feedback and improve the product until late summer when we want to add another 300 customers on the platform. That's then the beta version. And until year end, we're going to launch officially the platform and the product in Switzerland first to more than 1,000 customers. In the year after 2019, we intend then to step into the first international markets, at least to test and learn and get feedback on the initial scale while we still build out the operation and the, the business in Switzerland. So we are basically building the product in parallel the last month and we just now launched the financing um, activity as well in parallel but the idea is really we want to go to market in Kutu this year in Switzerland and build it out until end of the year. I like the project as well because it seems like a very conservative roadmap. The milestones that you've set for yourself don't look to be completely out of this world. When I look at new ICOs, sometimes what they say they want to do in a time frame, you can just take one look at it and realize that there's just no way they're going to be able to accomplish this. And of course, what ends up happening is they end up delaying or things are not ready. And I think it looks really bad on the company. But listening to your roadmap, it seems very reasonable and I can understand how these steps will be made. So I really like that. Yeah, maybe, you know, that's one of my learnings of like almost 20 years experience. And especially in the last year rolling out products, you need time to develop a product very carefully uh, with the initial customers. I think it's a very big mistake to launch it also to too many customers in the beginning. Because that doesn't allow you then to actually adapt and iterate and learn and make it better. So that's why um, we believe that this roadmap is really feasible. And our entire philosophy is to be very transparent and honest. And that's why we don't want to make a fake roadmap and just, you know, get people into something that is not feasible to execute. That's not worth it. Absolutely. So tell me, what does the TEND team, what do you guys take care of? Maybe the best example is to compare it with Airbnb, for example, or with Uber. So we are a platform that is governed basically the access and the offering of their platform, meaning that 
we are taking care of the onboarding of the assets, as I explained before, but also taking care of the user side, so making sure they're actually having you know, the right profile and fitting into the investor network we're seeking. We do then offer the entire services around managing the assets together with our universe of partners. So the user or the investor doesn't have to take care of storage, of insurance, of repair, for example, or any other activity that needs to be done in, in, in relation to the asset. So it's really basically our service that we provide to the users to have a hassle-free, basically, management of the assets. So we provide even a concierge service so people can call up us and, and we help them, you know, to, for example, arrange the experiences that we offer. So we are a service platform and an operational platform that allows that the users, meaning buyers and sellers, actually can operate and enjoy the investments. So it's really a done-for-you shop. There's not going to be anything that the user needs to worry about, like the insurance or the shipping or anything like that. Yes, we just announced the partnership negotiations. We are in with Allianz, for example, on the insurance side. And we continue to actually add partners on the platform which have high-profile, big brands to take care of the assets so people actually do not need to worry because that's exactly what I believe the modern consumer wants. He wants a hassle-free actually offering and actually all offered through a digital platform. So talk to me a little bit about the experiences that people are going to be able to have with the assets. Yeah, so that's, I think, a big differentiator to all the other platforms out there because... You can co-own a very beautiful object, right? And my thought was, well, if you co-own it, why you cannot enjoy it? That's actually the biggest fun out of it, right? And in the consumer world, experiences have become the dominant factor for at least the young generation actually to obtain. And so if you own such a beautiful Porsche, again, let's stay with that example, you have the right actually to drive it once or twice a year so with your friends or with your family or yourself, but you're going to have a memorable experience around with this investment asset you have. And it's similar like with vineyards, you get like private bottles delivered at your home with your name on it and you know, if you serve it to your family and friends, you can say this is my vineyard um, or you can go in summer there and have a summer cocktail party if you want in a vineyard. And so on. So we always strike different type of memorable experiences around the asset, always taking care that the asset is continue to appreciate in value and not get overused. So that's an important factor. This is not that you can all the time use the assets. That's not the purpose. The purpose is as an investment. But still from time to time, we enable a memorable experience around it. Because that would be one of the first things that I would worry about is if people were using the asset that it was going to depreciate, that it might get damaged or worn out or things like that, especially with, say, a car. Yeah, that's, that's why the experience is very limited. In a car, for example, you should drive it sometimes, right, to keep it in shape. But we, we always take care that we don't overuse it in, in opposite, that it's just used in the right manner. And so that's one of the biggest value propositions we can bring to the table that we know exactly what will be the right balance between the investment side and the experience side. Excellent. So speak to me a little bit about what type of increases that assets like this traditionally have in the past. So if you look at reports which are currently available out there, for example, collected cars, they appreciated in the last decade 460%. Wine and vineyards or particular specific wine, 280%, truly almost 200%. So they have actually a very, very good return. And most people don't know it because they don't have access to it. Obviously, the logic is these assets are unique and special. And hence, there's always more demand because we get more and more wealthy people on the planet who actually want to be part of this type of ownerships. And so the value increase is really very strong, and it will continue in my view because, again, these objects will not duplicate. They remain unique, and a lot more people would like to have access to it. So for me, the second big element of the appreciation is that it's more stable and less volatile like financial products. And that's an element that a lot of 
consumers actually want. They do not like the high volatility of the financial markets. They want something which is a lot more stable and long-term oriented and in return times. And that's exactly what this type of precious real assets actually offering. Wonderful. So when I was going through the website, I noticed that there's the word community used a lot. And I thought this was really interesting because when I start to think about community, I also start to think about networking. So if people were to own part of the Porsche, if we're using this example, and it was all a local marketplace, so everyone was living, say, in Switzerland and they were sharing this asset, is this going to be an opportunity for people to meet one another, an opportunity to get to know each other or build out a personal network? Yes, absolutely. It's really a big factor because you talk about like-minded investors who have the same passion or desire for these objects. And the first opportunity to network is that we will have community groups on each of the assets on the digital platform. So you can interact, exchange your thoughts or your experiences as digital link, like you can do like in a WhatsApp group, for example. But also you can share then the pictures you make while you drive that Porsche, both with family and friends, and increase the network. And the third element, as you mentioned, is that people can together actually enjoy sometimes the experience and actually create a much larger bond across their interests and their actually community. So far, this is really a big different trade of traditional investments where you just basically a number who invests into another, you know, technical product that millions of shares are out there. So that community factor is, I believe, a big different trader into the emotional return that a lot of people actually are looking nowadays as well. I love it because one of the things that I focus on in my life is building out my personal network and my business network. And this seems like a great platform for being able to do this in addition to being an investment. Yes, absolutely. I think the social currency, how we call it, and the emotional return becomes much more of importance for today's modern investors. And that's um, what we like to offer and then actually creating, you know, and enhancing the network, which potentially you are not able in a traditional investment world. So talk to me a little bit about the rollout for TEND. So it's starting in Switzerland. And then where do you think that the next region or next area will be? We have a tremendous demand in Asia for the product and the investment universe because we see a lot of young generation coming out there having achieved a certain level of wealth and they aspire to actually own or co-own such type of objects. So Asia is a really big and very thriving market for us and a lot of the big mega cities which are coming up and which are maybe best suited for our model are in Asia. So we talk about Shanghai, we talk about Hong Kong, we talk about Bangkok, about Jakarta, Seoul. These are all 20, 25 million cities which where we see a lot of consumers being really very, very happy to actually get into our product and universe. But the same is for Latin America, a bit like in Sao Paulo and Mexico City. So these two regions are really big for us. In Europe, it's more a mature world where also the surrounding countries of Switzerland obviously are our potential markets. In the Middle East, where you're located, of course, as well, there is also coming up a strong upper middle class who would like to get into such kind of investment opportunities. So for us, the world is pretty open. Where we go then as a next country depends still on a number of factors like what is the legal framework around there, how we can set up local operations, and where we believe is the demand on both sides of getting assets locally and getting the customer base locally in place easiest. My assumption is we're going to be in Asia as a next uh, country. Amazing. Because living in the Middle East, I can definitely see something like this taking off. People definitely like their luxury goods out here. And I think that this gives them access um, in a much broader sense to what they're able just to purchase at a store. Yeah, the one side is the consumer goods, right, that you use. Whereas my offering is to invest into something that even appreciates, right? So you have this complementary world where today's people only actually 
buy luxury goods and they lose kind of value, most of them. But my world is, well, you invest in the luxury goods and they're so beautiful and they actually appreciate even. Yeah, but out here in the Middle East, I think that if you were to put luxury handbags, vintage, you know, LV handbags and things like that, it would just be unbelievably popular. That's I'm talking to all these brands now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. People go nuts for them out here and they already see them as an investment. They are. They are an investment. They really appreciate, right? And for me, that's also an important factor that we have a lot of offers for the female client base as well. If you look at today's traditional financial world, there's pretty much nothing out there, right, which is addressing the female specifically. But in our world, we're going to have handbags, we're going to have jewelry, we're going to have beautiful watches. So all things that actually are very, very focused on the female client base as well. So say, for example, you listen to your market and the market is telling you that that they want jewelry, for example. How do you source these pieces, these investments? So we have a network of ultra high net worth and high net worth people here in Switzerland, but all over the world, who are actually really willing to gift their objects to the platform because for them it's a great way to actually create liquidity. And in the past, it's or currently still, it takes them almost a year always to actually uh, sell their objects. Now with my platform, that's a, a lot easier and a lot cheaper for them as well. And the other thing is that the brands, we currently strike corporations. For them, it's very interesting to create special editions of products for my platform alone and give them access actually to a new client base and to new innovation on their end. So it's these twofold things, the network of asset holders we have today and the brands who actually can create new offerings just for my platform. Amazing. So what will be kind of the price range, do you believe, when these products hit your platform? On average, our target is to have about $5,000 to $25,000 on average for a token. But we will have more specific and special, obviously, objects as well, which are, you know, like a big lighthouse offerings. And there the token will be probably between 50000 to even 250000 But we want to create actually a wide range of investment opportunities also on the let's say, lower scale, and not only think about the, the super, you know, special investment opportunities there as well. Yeah, because when I was looking, I saw that the vineyard was somewhere around 1.6 or 1.8 million Swiss francs. So if that was tokenized into 10 or 20 tokens, that's still a substantial investment for a lot of people. Yes, absolutely. But that's, again, the special ones who actually are kind of really shining and, and are being probably the top offerings. As said, the, the average should be between five to $25,000. So people will be able to participate in a pretty low threshold. $5,000 is pretty low. I hope so. But we're going to see by market whether this is you know feasible or not. Uh, the importance is certainly that our target clients is really the what is called the affluence, meaning the ones who are not yet in the millionaires category, but also are not yet on the retail side. So it's a target segment, especially uh, to your podcast of expats, right, of local youngsters and, and middle-aged people who had made a career, but just didn't make it yet to the top segment. And there are huge numbers out there and it's getting more and more, especially in the emerging markets. Hey guys, we will just take a quick break. So I want to remind you to go to expatmoneyshow.com to pick up your free special report called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. We have had some really good feedback with this. It's actually a project I've been working on for probably about four years now and been offering it to my subscribers. And I am constantly updating it with the best and the newest resources for people wanting to go abroad. It is really amazing. I'm really happy with the work that we've done. And it's really different than a lot of the other projects out there or special reports or ebooks or anything like that. And this is one of the main differences. It is highly curated, it is highly condensed. It is not 400, 500 pages long and talking about every single thing out there and every single little detail. Actually, that doesn't serve anyone. Your best bet is always to go with the really, really condensed information so that you can connect the dots, so you can understand what's happening and how things fit together. And that's exactly what this special report does. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can find it completely for free 100% free at expatmoneyshow.com. Okay, enjoy, and let's jump back into the interview. 
So I would like to hear a little bit about renting out and exchanging experiences. I read this on your website and I thought it was so fascinating. Yeah, so what we thought is, uh, in the example we had before with the Porsche, right, that you have the right to drive it, let's say, once a year, we thought that even if you own it several years, maybe in one year you, you don't have time to drive it again or you say, okay, this year I'm, I'm okay. So we thought, can we not then rent out this experience to other users on the platform? And we made that possible by actually creating two tokens for each assets, meaning a parent token, which is the investment itself, and then a child token, which is the experience. So if you are owner of a Porsche and you don't find time to drive it, actually you can rent it out to somebody else on the platform or swap it. So if there's somebody with a vineyard and you have the Porsche, you can swap the experience. So this year you go to the vineyard and he's driving the car. And that, I think, is really something that a lot of people came back and say, fascinating. So I can own a beautiful art piece like, you know, a Picasso painting. But if I really want the opportunity to drive a beautiful Porsche, I can do that if a person actually renting out that experience. And the answer is yes. So you increase even your experiences um, through our platform without the need to own necessarily such an object. I love it. So you're creating your own microcosm here and even able to monetize in other ways. I just think it's unbelievable. I just love the idea. When I read this, I thought that was just brilliant. Yeah, because we don't want that people need to sell their assets to get access to further experiences. And that we came up and actually technology-wise, we could model it. So it's just, I believe as well, a fantastic idea because you increase the experience network so much without the need always to invest into the object. Well, yeah, and then going back to our previous conversation, when we're talking about building out your personal network, I think that this is another way to enhance that. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. So what is your focus right now with building out Tend? What are you working on at the moment? It's building the partnerships with the brands. We need to make really the servicing around the asset perfect and, and make it a memorable experience. That's one element. Resourcing new assets. So we are in talks, like I mentioned before, with owners of these assets to get them on the platform. And the last part is certainly to actually create the final stitches of the platform to make the alpha version up and running in April. That are the biggest focus factors now. And then we will engage with the customers. That's a big topic for us to really learn and listen with them. So we set up all the analytics and the customer insight panels that we want to do to gather that feedback of the first 100 customers and really perfectionize the product over the next couple of months. And what are some of the challenges that you guys have had so far with building out the platform or getting ready for, say, this funding? It's quite a complex undertaking, generally speaking, from a platform perspective and actually making sure that the supply and demand is always in balance. That is one of the challenges. And certainly because we give this flexibility of ownership and co-ownership and renting out experiences, that's something that just is not quite simple, actually, even if it sounds good, but technology-wise, you need to do a lot to make that work really nicely. So that's something we focus on, and it's certainly a challenge that we have witnessed over the last months. But we are actually pretty confident, obviously, that we can roll that out and make it happen. One other thing that you mentioned on the funding, the more difficult thing is if you really create a security token like we do, you do play very differently than today's utility tokens and other ICOs, and the Investors so far in ICOs are not yet up to what it means exactly, the security token. And so there's a lot of education going on and that just takes time, but we are going to get there. And that's something, of course, that is a challenge if you're always the first one to ever actually launch something which is embedded in Swiss law and how this functions. That is a, taking a bit time, actually, until people get it. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, we are in such infancy with the blockchain technology and new companies doing fundraising and crowdfunding through this. But I'd like to see that you guys are really pushing the envelope and really following the law and being compliant and working with the government, because what we need are things like this to gain legitimacy for this industry. That's the whole purpose why I do it. It goes far beyond myself. I, I truly believe that ICOs or whatever name it will be afterwards are the catalyst for driving innovation in the world and giving access to a lot more people to invest into innovation or for innovators and entrepreneurs just to get out their idea and get funding for 
it and get going. I think it's really important for the world. Today's structure of venture capital or angel investors is just too small to cater for the innovation the world needs. And I see how technology actually is accelerating. And if you want to make it to the benefit of, of you know, humanity, we need more innovation. And that's why I believe ICOs are really the mechanism and the catalyst for doing so. But you need to make it sustainable. And that's what we try to help to do. Well, that's the thing. There's no way that we're ever going to be able to get rid of the governments. So we might as well start working with them and trying to find a happy medium, a ground where we can all work together. Because like you said, innovation really is the future. And with so many people getting involved right now, I think that the speed that things are going to accelerate is just going to be massive. If we have the governments uh, trying to stop us at every turn, now I understand that Switzerland is, uh, is quite forward thinking, but say some of the other countries in the world, like the United States, they're trying to stand in the way a lot of times. It's just going to hamper this innovation. Yeah, and we should not. So there's, I believe, a middle way which helps to create that innovation, but still in a way that protects you know, the investors from fraud or from, from other behavior which we don't want to see. So what do you think might stand in the way from TEND taking off and really going forward? I hope nothing. <laughs> I hope nothing as well. But I want to know, what are some of the things that might stop you guys? Well, we monitor all ends, right? So it could be that competition comes up and actually is just doing a better offering. At the moment, we are pretty unique and we have this first mover advantage and we try to actually maintain it as long as possible. But that's something obviously we monitor. We monitor very carefully regulation because blockchain and documenting ownership on smart contracts is not yet embedded into today's law. Now, the way we solved it is basically create first a document in today's law and then actually bring it on the blockchain. So we believe we are fine, but that could be in some countries we face challenges and, and that has an impact on the roadmap, as I mentioned before. The other thing is that we are not getting traction on the asset side and we cannot source the assets that actually customer wants, um, that's of course a challenge um, and uh, we believe we can manage it, but that's something we monitor. So there are actually a variety of factors that we constantly actually have a close eye on and well, it's, it's a huge transformative innovation play that I'm doing. And of course, there are a lot of kind of things that can pop up over the next month and years that we need to address and then overcome. If it would be already plain vanilla and existing, that wouldn't be actually fun as well. No, that wouldn't be any fun. So I have seen fractional ownership or co-ownership with real estate out there, but this is the first time I've ever seen luxury goods being tokenized. So I think you're definitely ahead of anyone else that might be thinking about ideas like this. Yes, at the moment, definitely, and especially in the combination with the experiences. But, you know, if you're successful, you will have competition. So we are aware of that, and that's why our kind of philosophy is we can stay ahead by always being more customer-focused and being really what the customer wants because that's something that if you address their needs and desires and wishes, that's then, you know, very hard to beat by anybody else. And I think the second potential advantage we have as a first mover is to create a network of service partners and brands which are part of our platform and that's also something that a competitor cannot so easy copy. Yeah, because relationships like that are really going to take time. That's not something that you're just going to be able to set up in a weekend and throw a website up and be up and running. Exactly, and that's also something that we believe coming as a Swiss brand, a Swiss operation into countries, that's also something that it's not that easy to copyright because there are associated quality and, and certain standards which come along with just being, you know, incorporated and running the, the home market in Switzerland as well. I think that another really interesting thing with Tend and with, say, Naked Dollars, which Marco Robinson I had on, he did fractional ownership for real estate and for restaurants that he owns and things like that. I think that things like this are really interesting because as the population grows on planet Earth and goods and products become more scarce or let's say there's more of a shortage on natural resources. Being able to share goods, I think, is so advantageous for people in general. I think it's even necessary. I think we cannot afford to misuse the resources this planet has as we, you know, did. You look at just, you know, cars. A car is typically 
standing or not used 23 hours of a day. So the average usage is less than an hour. And I, I think we just cannot afford it as, you know, <laughs> as a population and humanity actually to misuse so much of our resources on the planet. So co-ownership or shared economy in general will become mainstream. I'm 100% convinced on that because that's the only way forward with the number of people living on Earth. There's no other way. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. So what type of skills do you think that we're going to need to get ready for this new economy that we're creating? I think there's a number of skills that everybody should start to develop very strongly. And I think learning code just as another language, like, you know, English is really important that people understand how technology runs and works. The other probably more important one is that constant learning and constant adaptation as a, just a mindset is critical because if you look at the lifespan that the young generation has, I mean, they get all more than 100 or 150 years even, they're going to have, in my opinion, two or three careers. They're going to have more or less two or three lives than today. And they're going to live it very different, these lives. And so you, you actually constantly need to adapt and learn because your life is not going to be linear anymore that you start in a company, you stop uh, 40 years later and go into pension. I think these times are over. So that aspect of constant adaptation and learning is for me the biggest one skill that we need to actually look at also in my company and probably in, in everything else that is starting now. I agree with that 100%. I remember having a conversation a few months ago with one of my childhood best friends and I was recommending some books that he should read and things that might help him in his career. And he said, listen, I've studied enough. I have a firm background in business. I went to university and I did a business degree. And I was like, wow, that's that's wonderful. When, when did you finish university? He's like, well, 10 years ago. I'm like, yeah, it's been 10 years and you have not read a book. Now, I'm a high school dropout. I finished high school at 15 years old, but I've never stopped learning a day in my life since then. I've read literally thousands of books and I've pushed myself harder than most people. So I didn't do a traditional formal education and then decide, okay, done and dusted, that's it. I'm going to stop learning. I went out and I read and I read and I read and I worked so hard. And I think that you're 100% right there, Marco. We need to continue to learn on a daily basis. You need to keep increasing these skills and these abilities, especially if you want to stay competitive in the marketplace, which is just changing so, so fast. Absolutely. We have to problem that we think very linear into the future because we look back how fast things are changing but in a technology world it's everything exponential so whatever you believe is going to happen in 64 years is actually happening in the next seven to eight years so the accelerated speed of change just requires that you actually learn like you said every day and continue to do that because otherwise you get outpaced by just the outside developments yeah, I believe in that 100%. And like you mentioned, having multiple careers through one person's life is going to become the norm, not the exception. Like I've had my professional career for going on 20 years now, but I'm making an exit from that and I'm moving on to a second career. Now I'm only 35 years old and I'm already hitting a second career. Probably in 5, 10, 20 years, I'll do another career. And like you said, as life expectancy goes up, especially here in the developed world, this is going to become more and more prevalent. Absolutely. And it's great to hear that you start your second one, right? It's exciting. Um, and it's it's thrilling so and refreshing. So people just need to get comfortable with this changed environment, which is a bit against human nature. Change is something that there's a kind of biological resistance to it. But uh, people can learn and they need to learn and, and overcome this type of, you know, internal, how I call it, resistance for change. Well, and then same for you as well. You've gone from big banking now to leaving that behind and creating your own platform on blockchain. What a massive change something like that must have been. Yeah, I mean, I was always a bit innovative and even in the big companies, obviously. But yes, it's a change and it takes a lot of courage to do that, which uh, unfortunately I see many people in large corporations would like to do as well. But they just don't make that last step. So I hope that in the coming years, a lot of people will follow my example and have the courage to do it because they have actually great experience. They have great ideas and they can actually live them outside probably a lot better as entrepreneurs than they do it in large corporations today. 
Well, that's another thing that I really believe that uh, perhaps our parents' generation where you stayed at one company for 30, 40 years, you got your pension and left. I think those days are over. I think that a lot of people will need to be doing contractual work or consulting work, things on the side on top of a normal job just to be competitive and to be able to earn an income. So I think that we'll see a transition between one stable job and that's it to now people outsourcing a lot of their talents to many different things. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the point is that large corporations have been built in the industrial age, so that's quite some time ago. And now we are in a very new age, um, even past the information age, and we still have these structures in place. And I'm totally with you that actually more flexible, more individual structures will emerge over the next years quite dramatically. So I'm curious your thoughts about formal education in this day and age, opposed to learning on your own or learning online or courses or books, things like this. I think the education system has a huge challenge because it's still built on a lot of a teacher is telling to, let's say, the pupils or the students what to do or what they think is right uh, versus a really reversed model where actually the people start to learn themselves and the teacher is actually just helping them to get there. I think that's a huge challenge in our education system going forward, but it's the only way. And some countries are starting to do that better, but that's a challenge that probably even every parent has to take over with their children to help them actually to learn on themselves a lot more with the information available. And that's just a really different way to work because the systems have been built again a century ago and they need to adapt as well because otherwise we actually do not prepare our children for the world and uh, one big element, for example, to, to give them creativity and the freedom to be creative and innovative. That's something that I haven't seen any school learning yet. And it's probably one of the biggest skill sets and talents you need in future. So there's really a big need for a more transformative overhaul of the education system. Absolutely. So how do you think that we should foster this creativity? Well, I think you can let people a lot more try and especially young people to just try out stuff. Again, ICOs or the funding mechanism for ideas is one thing that actually helps to try out stuff because you don't know what in future will be really successful. And the more creative ideas, even the more crazy ideas we have, it's really important for people to explore and learn and actually then go on to the next one if it didn't work. So that kind of constant learning again and constant the creativity, constant trying out of new stuff. I think that's just something that we need to create frameworks around to help to do that. And that's that's at home, that's in school, that's at the job or for the people themselves. And I just think that we need to create frameworks from a political side, from, you know, the industry side, from, from every side uh, to help that fostering. Yeah, absolutely. And when I saw TEND, when I start, first started reading about it, say a month or two ago, I had never in my wildest dreams ever imagined anything like what you're putting together. And I just thought it was such a brilliant idea. When I read about it and I watched your videos, suddenly my mind was open to so many new possibilities, um, especially with tokenization, things that we could tokenize and the advantage and why we would want to do so. Now, obviously, probably if I had a thousand ideas, 990 of them were probably absolute garbage, but at least it was like a thought experiment and it started getting my mind working. So that's one of the reasons that I really like your platform is because it really pushes the envelope of idea and innovation. Thank you. That's very nice to hear. And obviously that's giving us a lot of motivation to keep on going very hard to make it a reality. I think you guys are doing a great job. So you mentioned learning. What are some of the books or things that you do to learn on a daily basis? What are some recommendations you might be able to give to listeners? I personally do not read as much as you do on a daily basis. I'm more on the practical learning. So I do a lot getting deep dives into topics which I just want to understand more. So I talk. So I have myself a less structured learning process, but it's coming a lot on a daily basis and I deep dive into these things. So what I'm fascinating about is really exponential thinking, which, you know, the Singularity University, for example, is preaching. And, and there are a lot of books out there or, or blogs which are getting into this direction because that's really mind opening and how you look 
at the world in a very different way. So I think everybody should find its own way, to be honest, of this learning. For some, it will be reading. For some, it will be practical work. For some, it's just testing it out themselves. And I just believe everybody should dedicate a certain time a day to do so. So you do more like thought experiments. Yes. And really understanding what my team is doing and really deep diving into it, some of their thoughts and, and getting learning and stuff like that. And actually listening also and bringing in, in our world, a lot of people outside and actually have them participating. So we have an open door policy. People come in, they spend a day in the office, and that's actually very exciting to see how they think and they actually look at stuff. Well, and I think that's another way that you guys are going to be able to foster that creativity that we were just talking about. Yes, exactly. I love it. Marco. it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I really enjoyed our talk today. If my listeners, they want to get a hold of you, if they want to learn more about the TEND platform, where can they look you up? They can look us up on the web. It's www.tent.swiss or they can just shoot me an email at marco at and I get back to them. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was truly a pleasure. Miguel, thank you very much. It was a fantastic talk. Thank you. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. So I have an ask for you today. If you're enjoying this podcast, what I want you to do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to leave us a five-star review, even better. If not, tell us why. We are really doing our best to make this show the absolute best it can be to help as many people to go offshore and inspire entrepreneurs and investors and business owners to move their businesses abroad. There's so much to be had in this industry. I love doing this work and I love doing this podcast. But we want to get the message out there to more people. And the best way to do that is with reviews. So if you have ever gotten one good tip, one good thing from this show, if you enjoy listening to us every single Wednesday or whenever you listen during the week, then please take 30 seconds out of your day, go out there, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It actually makes a big difference for the show, for the visibility, and really helps get the word out there. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.